Hello again, friends, and welcome to My Back 40 and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Thanks for coming back. It's good to see you guys again. Well, I've got some good news, and that is that the My Back 40 podcast is now on Apple Podcasts. It took a while to get it up there, almost a week actually, but uh, it's on there now, and I'm super pumped. So now you can search for My Back 40 in Apple Podcasts, and it'll come up. And uh, you can go ahead and subscribe, which is a lot easier than putting in the uh, the feed burner URL manually like uh, like I was asking people to do before. Now it's in there so you can subscribe with a click of a button and enjoy all the conversations that I hope to bring you weekly into the future. And uh, I'm super pumped. So while you're there, listen to uh, listen to a couple episodes and give me a five-star rating and a review would be fantastic. And um, yeah, I'm just super pumped. I hope you enjoyed last week's conversation with Sofiane, man. Um, what a crazy dude. And uh, today, uh, I have got another Atlas Mountain Race podcast for you with RJ Sawyer. RJ's experience was a little different, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But first, do your hands hurt? Does your back hurt? Does your neck hurt after you go for a bike ride and you get off and you're like walking around like an old man, kind of like me, actually? Well, you might need a bike fit. Bike fit is super important. And Cycling 101 is here to help. If you want to check them out online, their website is cycling-101.com. Head on over there and you can read all about the services they offer. And one of those services is BikeFit. So you can contact them and they will either come to you. And you know what? I've been told that this can be done remotely as well. If you send Cycling 101 some video of you spinning on your bike from the front, the back, and the side, they can figure out kind of what's going on and they can fit your bike appropriately to your body. So what I would suggest is if you need a bike fit, you reach out to Cycling 101 and you use the coupon code 101VIP20 and they're going to knock 20% off a bike fit. If you don't need a bike fit and uh, you just need some consultation like, you know, you might be gearing up to do some of the summer bikepacking races and you're thinking about getting a coach and you uh, want to you wanna crush it and you want to do the best you can and, and train up for that, well, you can reach out to them as well and they'll give you a consultation and they are still going to honor that coupon code for you. So head on over to cycling101.com now and use the code 101VIP20 to get 20% off a bike fit or a consultation. You know, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude. Uh, since launching the website, I've had a lot of really, really great feedback. Um, and I want to thank uh, Cycling 101 for uh, their support. And I also want to thank Rebound Cycle for theirs. Um, a little help from my friends. You know, it goes a long way and it enables me to bring you content all the time. And I'm going to be trying to pump these out once a week. And uh, I'm grateful for the support. So thank you to Cycling 101 and Rebound Cycle. My guest this week is R.J. Sawyer. R.J. Sawyer is a writer, director, and producer. His company is Bruder. You can find them at bruder.ca if you want to check out some of his stuff, which I encourage you to do. The reason we connected is I wanted to hear his stories about his Atlas Mountain Race experience. Um, Those of you who are following it online, and the coverage was friggin' incredible. Um, What an incredible race it was. Um, We'll know that R.J. faced some adversity in that race. Um, that came to him uh, as a mechanical, and he struggled with that throughout the entire race, forcing him to walk like 10% of it. So um, we had an awesome chat. I love chatting with RJ. Um, he's he's very open about, uh, about his journey, and uh, it was a pleasure to talk to him, and it's a pleasure to share this conversation with you, and I hope you enjoy it. So without further delay, I bring you RJ Sawyer. Hello. 
Hello, sir. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Busy day for you? Uh, pretty good, actually. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually quite chill. Um, so good timing. I've been actually spending the last uh, sort of few hours getting caught up. Um on sort of my writing and all that stuff and from the race. So I imagine, yeah. I imagine you have a lot of stuff to process right now. Yeah, I mean I started I started putting a lot of it down when I was um over there. Uh the couple of days that I had before coming home and then the kind of the long journey home also allowed for some time. So it's kind of one of those things if you put it off, right? It just like just gets harder and harder each day. It's like a dream, right? Like yeah. it just kind of starts to dissolve and you can't really put exactly. it together. And especially in, totally. especially with something like what you just had to go through. <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was unique. It was certainly not the the not what I expected, <laughs> to say the least. But whatever. I don't know if they ever are, you know. Well, I think that's I think that's why they're so uh <clears throat> they're so attractive and fun because you really never know what to expect. Yeah, in some definitely. sense, and especially if you you're obviously a well traveled guy. You've been to Morocco before. I actually hadn't been to Morocco, and that was one of the um, the attractive things for me right off the right off the bat when I saw the race sort of pop up on my Facebook feed. It was like Ooh. pretty immediate that yeah. I was going. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. You got the tangles. You know, it's like oh. Yeah, Hello. it just felt like perfect on all fronts. I mean, it was uh, it was one of the easier decisions, you know. Um, like I've kind of created sort of a master list of varying events and things that I want to do and kind of keep them on the back burner. Um, but yeah, this one was like just the timing of it, the location, the distance, everything about it seemed like ideal. And had you and Sarah already... And Oliver already planned to be in Thailand at that point? Or was uh, that- we were, sorry, we were in Vietnam. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, no, that's cool. Uh, we were in Vietnam. We, yeah, our plans at that point were already pretty locked in. We we're, were locked in for Vietnam. Um, so I knew that was like, you know, a variable in its timing, but wasn't like, it wasn't the worst because there was like three, four weeks when I got back from there that at least I could. It's, you know, unless you're a professional athlete, which, you know, a lot of the people who are doing these things aren't like, it's almost impossible to kind of find that perfect four month window leading up to any event. Um, I would say the only, and I would say the only downside to this event, it was great to go in the middle of winter to somewhere hot, but whenever you do an event in the middle of winter, when you live where we live, it means inevitably training in like brutal, bad, cold, wet conditions, which can get really tedious. And, um, I I think it was particularly wet this year and just, it was particularly frustrating, I think, training. So I noticed that as definitely a, a variable, um, you know, not to mention sort of first sort of longer, bigger event as a dad and trying to learn how to, um, schedule being a dad, you know? having that as a new as a new thing um just like you know trying to find the time to do it all so there's still a um, time yeah i mean as you know right like it's just there's just only so much you can do in a day and i felt like the pinch 
I definitely felt the pinch this time. And so that was a, a bit of a learning curve for sure. Um, and I, you know, I think we'll always be learning. We'll always be something, some other <laughs> challenge to figure out. And that's why I, I, again, I always say like, man, just, I think for so many people to show up at the start line is, is like such a victory in its own right. For sure. Because, um, you know, just the desire to do it and then to put, pull all the pieces together and get there is, is, um, yeah, is always a big challenge. It's kind of the so, hard part, really. Yeah, in many ways it is. I mean, the rest is kind of like if you show up, like you should just be in the. It's just now a matter of like let's see what the trail dishes out and then deal with that, uh, you know, accordingly. So, um, you know, that's it is kind of like the simple part in many ways. You just have to lean on experience, on the experience that you already had or have had yeah. in the past with other events. And yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, I, and I think the only thing I was, and the one thing I, I felt like was that there's, I think some, there's, when you've done a, a series of races, you feel like you have a, a level of fitness that's in the bank, but I think it's a slippery slope and a dangerous thing to rely on. And I feel like I was that extra, that extra fitness from past events, that bank was getting pretty empty. And so it was again another reminder of like you just can't lean on past training. You really have to put in the time. And so, um, you know, and I always try to respect every kind of event that I go into and not kind of just assume, oh, I can just show up and do it because I've done something else. You know, it's like, no, like the reason why you probably finished other things in the past is because you put in the time and prepared. Exactly. So, so yeah, I just wanted to be careful to not, um, cut corners. Yeah. You mentioned that last time too. It's like, you know, you go in with an intention, which is what I meant by that comment. Like I know that when you go, you and you go into these things with that, with that intent and getting to the end. And I think that showed a lot. I think that showed a lot of people that despite heavy adversity and things that can really hold you back, as long as you're moving forward, you can, you can finish it. Right. Whether yeah. whether you walk 180 kilometers, which I can't even wrap my head around, it must have been really frustrating for you. Um, like, tell us about that. So, so you went in. Is that the same rig that you had last summer? Uh, the so I was riding this the salsa cutthroat. Um, it was not the exact same bike I've always been riding. It was the new iteration of the bike, which like had really just come out. Like they had scraped just to get the bike for me because there was um, very limited supply because it was so new. Um, So the bike was very much similar to what I'd been riding. It wasn't like a massive change or shift. So I was, I felt fine, like, you know, making that change last you know, relatively last minute, it was like I had it probably for three weeks before. Um, so it didn't feel like a dramatic change. Um, uh, but, you know, it was, it's always a little bit of a risk when you try to try to do, use something new and maybe hasn't been tried and tested. Um, but, but the bike itself was awesome. Like I loved the bike and it was really just a, it was partially just an unlucky scenario and just, you know, and circumstance and, and a small component thing that just compounded itself like on several levels. Um, because there's like, there's no perfect fix necessarily in the field. Um, 
And so it just kind of like, yeah, it just sort of spiraled out of control a little bit. So tell us about the leading up to it. So, so you, you get there, you know, there was the rider briefing. Um, how did that go? Was that just basically, you know, as, as a paid event, are these kind of like, um, like, what do they talk about at these things? Like, uh, they discuss the rules or discuss the, like, what's the, the main idea of having the debriefing or the briefing? Well, it was interesting because I found it was actually like, this was probably one of the more formal races I've done. I feel like so many of them in North America are the ones that I had been doing other than the ITI, because the ITI definitely has a lot, like the Iditarod Trail Invitational definitely has a lot of, of communication and, and rule discussion and what have you, just because it is it is a very unique course and situation that you're in. But like, other than that, you know, so many of these, as you know, are, here's the date, here's the start line, this is your GPS track, show yeah. up and go. And Let's ride like bikes. An, yeah, <laughs> and it's, an, it's an informal thing, which is kind of fun and, and, and interesting. And at the same time, like I was definitely excited by the idea of a bigger event that had more media coverage as a, as a person who respects and loves the the photography and creative side of these things as well. Um, I was certainly mesmerized by what they had done for in Kyrgyzstan for the Silk Road race. And, and I was kind of like, oh, wow, this would be fun to be a part of something that has that kind of coverage. And um and so showing up, it was definitely a different vibe for me. It was like very, for lack of a better term, it was very European. Um, the field was very European. Um, a lot of the racers kind of were in clumps of people who knew each other, either from the Silk Road race or from other races around Europe. And, you know, all of them were kind of within their own time zone or only a few hours away. Like there was uh -huh. a few of us who were from Canada or from the U.S. who were, you know, traveling a, a much greater distance. So it was a bigger deal in some respects for us. So yeah, that was all really cool. And, um, you know, and it was a, a trip for me. I was going to a place I'd always wanted to go to and I'd, you know, I showed up as much as, as early as I could to indulge in that, you know, rented a place in the Medina, walked around and, you know, enjoyed that kind of pre-race experience and vibe. You know, it's always great. The anticipation before an event, um, and, uh, yeah, so it was cool that I, I think the, the actual race briefing and all that was pretty casual and actually pretty low key okay. and, um, limited really. Like, I think there was a lot of good information provided before the race. So I think, you know, we had every chance to be educated and up to speed on what we needed to know. Um, and I felt, I felt pretty comfortable with all of that. So yeah, I felt really relaxed and, and, it, you know, definitely excited. Um, I knew the field was very talented in terms of riders. There were a lot of amazing people. Like again, although a niche niche kind of world and sport, there were certainly names that were there that had proven themselves in other big races to be really great riders. So I had no false illusions about like how I might perform within that. Um, and and my you know my goal was just to kind of follow my sort of guidelines for pace and and you know and if i stuck to those and things went well i would end up where i ended up you know so um yeah i was just so i think i was in a, a good mindset um from from the outset i figured that would kind of be a weird <clears throat> i was gonna my next question was going to be how the how the vibe affected your mindset. Cause it was so different. Cause usually, you know, the, like you said, the ones in North America are just show up and 
kind of, you know, knuckles to everyone. Okay, bye. And just kind of all take off. It's no big deal. And, and there, you know, the, the, you know, to, to have to pay and then to get in there. And then just, the, there did seem to be some more formality if that would have added some sort of just a different mindset to it all. Like maybe a more of a nervous, like more of a performance anxiety type vibe, but uh, yeah, you kind of answered that. So. Well, I think there was, I, I think in hindsight now, I think there was a subconscious pressure of like of investment, you know, mm -hmm. there was a time investment leading up to it. I was taking two weeks away from, you know, being a dad and putting some pressure on my wife to look after our son, Oliver. So, you know, there's like a little bit of a, like, you want to make the most of this experience and, 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 you know, you don't want to force a, a situation, but like, there was definitely that and and then having you know partnerships with with salsa and seven mesh and other companies like you want to do right by them and of and and yeah and and but i i also don't think there was any kind of like confusion about who i i am and was and 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 my position in all of it you know again i think i like to think that i'm sort of a storyteller who happens to be doing these kinds of events and using them as, as a, as a sort of a conduit to, to share these kinds of experiences, you know? So, um, yeah. So, so I think all in all, like there was definitely, I was aware of the scope and scale of it all, but I was, I felt really at ease with it. Um, and was, yeah, fairly calm going into the start. So tell us, tell us how the first few hours and, you know, went, how far were, how, how long were you in before you had started having issues with the bike? Um, I was, I mean, it was, I knew the first day was going to be a pretty big day. It was obviously, it was probably, it was one of the most, it was the, the, the largest, you know, per kilometer amount of climbing that we were going to do throughout the race. So that first hundred K was going to say a lot. Um, I, I felt like I was on track. I was, I was actually right on track for my normal timing. So that felt good. But at the same time, I definitely was noticing problems right away. Mm. Um, and again, because the bike was new, the only thing that was unique that didn't dawn on me right away was this one little cap that actually held together that connected the, the through axle in the back to the derailleur. And that was just something new to that version of the bike compared to the one I had the year before. Uh, or in races before. So for whatever reason, that was just something I didn't, I didn't think about. It wasn't something that I was, I was used to. And so it wasn't blatantly obvious that that could, could have been what the problem was. Um, and that's the, you know, that's what you get from riding a bike and training with a bike for a long period of time. You, you kind of, you figure mm -hmm. out all its little, you know, nuances and issues yeah. and you kind of it's you want to have all those issues happen when you're training so you kind of go oh okay great like this is something that could happen because you, you get a feel bike, right you get a feel totally. of it yeah yeah and every bike is 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 unique and every bike has its problems and you know it, it's not just the bike it's the components it's the tires like tires was a massive like yeah. factor in this race people were having all kinds of problems and i had absolutely zero problems right. so um you know it's just like it's a thousand, you know, it's 1200 kilometers of like really rough terrain, like 24, riding your bike 24, almost 24 seven things go wrong. Um, and you know, for me, it just happened to go a lot more wrong than, than usual. Um, but yeah, I noticed, I noticed problems right away. I was struggling to, um, 
to get my climbing gears. So I was kind of, I, I felt like I was working way too hard on that initial climbing, but then, you know, I just chalked that up as just, just, you know, one of those things that just happens and it would, I would fig- get a chance to figure it out. And, and, you know, I just kind of kept pushing through and I, I was really keen to get to that first checkpoint, you know, cause I felt like once you got that, I got that in the, in banked, I was sort of like, okay, I could kind of relax into the race. I think that first day is always mm-hmm. like a bit weird. There's racers everywhere. And there's kind of like, I kind of like when you get through that first 24 hours and then you're like, you just feel sort of dirty and into the race and kind of like mentally there. Yeah. It takes know? a good day to warm up pretty much. Totally. Right? And then to find your place in the pack, yeah. you know, you find maybe who your riding buddies might be off exactly. and, and kind of find the groove, get to know people. and Exactly. So, um, so yeah, that was a thing, but it was definitely kind of dogging me from early on and I was aware of it and it was kind of annoying. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of started early and then it just sort of compounded, you know, I kind of went through two cycles of problems. Um, and you know, the, at the end of the second cycle of those problems was just like, it was kind of got to that. It all kind of came to a head, you know, just catastrophic failure kind of. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, and there was. I was lucky the first time around that I ran into like a, an, an unexpected solution, you know, that was just like pretty lucky to be fair, like the timing of it and, and the success of it was, you know, probably hard to replicate. Um, and certainly was cause I, I didn't find another option of that kind until the very end when I had to really make like a, a bigger decision about fixing the bike so I could actually ride to the finish line. But right. By that point, I was psychologically in a very different place, you know, um, and so my decision making was much different. The second round of problems, um, yeah, my decision making by that point changed because of where I was in the race and and circumstances and just, you know, at some point something had to give. <laughs> it was like either I had to give and give in or um i had to come up with some sort of bigger solution just to get me to the finish line and decide what what my priorities were you know yeah and you didn't give in i think that's what's so impressive about it all is you just kind of find, found a solution so like going into that <clears throat> the first the first round of troubles like like what was your mindset did you like <laughs> like you must have been it must have been a roller coaster right of of emotion um, yeah, I think you, I think you would mention in a post that you're still in a gray area of trying to decide whether this was a success or a failure. Yeah, and, and it's, that's basically what you were saying. And uh, and as, as I read that, I was like, uh, I don't see it as a failure at all. I I, I saw that whole situation as just what a, a, a glorious success on finishing what you started, right? Well, and that's nice to hear, and I appreciate that. I think that. To be honest, I think the response that I received was really helpful. Um, certainly, I wasn't I wasn't considering any of that when I was doing whatever I was doing. I think I was just, to be honest, I think when you're sometimes when you're out there, and what I love about these kinds of events is there's in a way a simplicity to it. You know what I mean? Like you think you have all these choices, but really, like it's as simple as moving forward. Um, and 
you know, you, you're constantly evaluating the situation from a safety perspective or an emotional perspective or, or what have you. But like, I think at the end of the day, it's just, you just got to keep using whatever's around you to get, to keep moving forward. Um, but, but yeah, like I, I think that there's a disappointment when you see things not going the way you had hoped to go. Like, I think you always, you know, each event is kind of like a yardstick and, you know, you do all this planning and you have all these expectations and hopes, you know, with the caveat that things can go wrong, but you have a hope that it's going to, it's going to tell you something more about, about what you can achieve. And in some ways this did do that in a different way. For sure. Um, but you know, like I, I think it was important. At, there was a point for sure where I think I just sort of, I stopped resisting. Like I stopped mm. I emotionally kind of let go of, of one thing, which was the, the, the thinking of it as a in the, in a context of a race and a position and a, right. I need to achieve this and people are going to be disappointed in me because I'm falling back. And, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. all those silly things that are, are like out of my control. And once I let go of that and I had kind of almost like a cathartic experience of stopping. And I think it was, well, I know it was when I just started to talk to the racers that passed me instead of seeing them as racers passing me, I saw them as sort of almost like colleagues who were sitting down yeah. and we were talking and sharing stories. And I remembered what, actually is important about these kinds of events is it's the shared camaraderie yeah for sure you know and the shared trail um and the commiseration and those things that really helped can you hold on for one second yeah sorry rj uh no problem my kids locked my wife out of the house so she can get in the house <laughs> And you were on this great, you were on this great, this great role. And I was just like, I can't, I can't go get it yet. I have to wait till you're done. No, no, no. It's all good, man. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, life. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. In my studio, my totally soundproof, proof <laughs> <laughs> studio. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, the camaraderie. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, I, I remember watching it. So was that basically after like day one? Like when you really slowed down, because I seem to remember I was watching your dot, and then you just, I couldn't find you anymore because you were just lost in the forest of yah of name tags. I was like, man, where'd he go? I couldn't find you, and, uh, and yeah. then I started reading. It's like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, lost in the woods, right? Yeah, <clears throat> um, albeit there be no trees, but the yeah. you know it was his own sort of yeah. I, I you know I certainly was struggling pace wise. Um, you know, like I said, pretty much early on, um, it wasn't ideal. Um, and so there was that, and then it kind of, I would go through phases where it got, it was getting kind of really bad. Like the derailleur was all over the map and I was just, I had no gear choices. I was just happy when it would lock into a gear of any kind. Um, and again, like I, it was just such a bizarre problem because I hadn't had it before. And so I was, I was wary it was kind of one of those things where it would tease me with working. So I was wary of taking a drastic measure to fix it or to change it. You know what I mean? It was yeah. kind of like, okay, it's not ideal, but it could get, it could be way worse if I mess with yeah. it. If it ain't too broken, uh, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah. And admittedly, <laughs> exactly. And admittedly, I am not, you know, I'm not like some sort of bike mechanic who had the confidence that I could, I could, you know, 
do do everything that was needed to do to to fix it. Um, and again, because it was something I hadn't experienced because of the nature of the problem, it was also just sort of like, I was like confused, like, why is this doing this and not have this problem before? This seems like a really weird issue. Um, am I missing something here? You know what I mean? So I started kind of doubting this, the situation, but anyways, yeah, I was just, I was kind of flailing a little bit, but I was making progress. And then I think what happened the first time around was like, it was like one in the, in the morning. Um, I was making really good time. I had chatted briefly along the trail with a, a racer I knew from, from South Africa who was, who had done the ITI and, and it was, you know, it was invigorated. And then it kind of just, the problem seemed to just sort of explode. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, it was 1am, it was cold, you're in the middle of nowhere. Um, now all of a sudden you're like, I'm like, oh, this is great. This is a great place for it to happen. And yeah, it just seemed like I couldn't get it to kind of, couldn't get it to to work. And I was like, oh, you know, crap, is this it? Is this like kind of the end of my race? And you start thinking all these thoughts and it was more because I was tired. And so that's, I just, I said, no, you know what? I'm going to bivy out and I'm going to wait till the sun comes up in the morning and I'll have a better attitude and deal with it. Um, so that was kind of, you know, my approach. And that was kind of like a big frustration because that was a perfect another – that was almost like a, a more of a literal example of what I was losing in terms of time and pace. You know, at that moment before it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, man. Like I'm if I keep pushing through the night, I could get to CP2 in the morning and I could – so all of a sudden like I was feeling really good and then all of a sudden you have that problem and I'm like, Ugh. it was a very tangible example of the setback I was having because of the mechanicals. So it was the first time where I was like – man, this is, this is the real deal. I got to deal with this and, uh, or I may not continue. So it was a wake up call for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, and again, that i that's advice I've heard on a number of different occasions is sleep, sleep first, yeah. then, then figure it out in the morning. So you yeah. said that you had, um, <clears throat> did you, did you find a, uh, like a metal Smith to, to, like make yeah. some sort of shim or something for the back. Yeah. Was, so your, what, was your back wheel just kind of like skittering around between the two? The dropouts? wheel was fine. It was weird because the wheel was actually secure and tight. It was just this little cap that screws on to the end of the, of the through axle literally is what cinches the derailleur. So the derailleur hanger hangs place. off the kind of off that part. And then the cap holds it on. Yeah. The cap just kind of, pulls it all together right. otherwise it's almost like this kind of loose end that's able to float all over the place like and it, because it's getting bashed around because of the rough terrain it's just it's floating all over the place and like literally jumping gears right. and like and i i was always stuck in some of the harder gears so like i would hit a hit an you know an, an incline and just sort of feel like i'd hit a wall and now i'm standing I was getting off to get off the bike and push up the steep stuff. Yeah. So it was just, it was really slowing me down and frustrating. And, um, you just, like, you just don't get a flow, you know, yeah. you just don't get into that groove. So I was kind of perpetually, um, you know, in this kind of awkward state, I just never really got a flow going. And, um, yeah, so that's when I, I was able to, in the morning when I woke up, I was able to, for whatever reason, like get it back to a rideable state not nowhere near ideal, but certainly rideable. And then I sort of, I was grinding it out to the next little 
village and um and yeah i i, I ate some food and i was rolling out of town kind of like feeling sorry for myself a little bit and then i sort of glanced over and i saw some dude working on a motorcycle and there was like bikes hanging all over the place mm-hmm. and it was like yeah okay like if ever there was a place it was almost like this magically appeared out of nowhere i was like you know there was cuz like really there was very little along the route you know these were really small villages and very you know um and some of them had like nothing and so I was like, I got to pull over and just see what I can do here. And so sure enough, we pulled over and like, he was, he was reactive immediately. Like he, he didn't speak English. He was a, like a, a Berber Moroccan who had this little shop. Um, but he immediately sort of took it on as a project. I pointed, he was like, by this point, I knew what the problem was. I had realized that there was this piece that was missing so I could identify that he, he seemed to immediately understand what, what was going on. And so we were like, basically he had like buckets and boxes of like bolts and stuff that he was just dumping on the floor. And we were like pillaging through trying to find something that could screw on. But as we all know, with like a lot of bike parts, it's just like the threading is usually very specific, you know? So it's like, you can't just throw on a motorcycle bolt. Um, or an old bike bolt, it just doesn't thread properly. So we came close, found like, you know, trying to find a few things. We spent it kind of like 45 minutes trying to do that. Um, and then that's when he finally sort of turned to me and was like, intensely was like <laughs> three hours, three hours. He's like, and I was kind of like, for whatever reason, I sort of understood that he was saying to me, mm. give him that time. And he was going to come back with a solution. And that that solution was somehow he was, he knew where he could get the piece to, to fit on there. So yeah, I just, I was like, well, I, at that point I was like, I got nothing to lose. Like I, I I'm really kind of stuck here. Like this problem is if it keeps compounding, is this going to get worse? Certainly didn't feel like it was getting any better. So I had, to, I felt like it was the right time to just take this chance because three hours sitting there is like, feels like an eternity, you know, in the middle yeah. of the day is you're still in that kind of, that you you know you can't help to be in that like that that anxious state of a race where like everybody was passing you right you're, you're, you're pacing just, like, around you're just pacing yeah it, exactly <laughs> like it was again it was like it wasn't like I was gonna win the race but it was like it, you know you're in your little spot and you're losing you're saying goodbye to the people who you to your point you had kind of continued to cross paths with the place where you at least I'd carved out a, a place within the race that felt respectable under the circumstances. And then I was like, well, so long for that. Like I've just got to let go. And so that's where I got to that point. I think I was forced to just sit there, you know, you know, the joke was is all we could eat were omelets along the route. So I just ordered another omelet and sat <laughs> and at a little cafe and waited for this guy to come back. And that's when, yeah, I just started talking to the races as they were coming through and, hearing their stories and realizing like everyone is going through problems, you know, this happened to be my problem. And so. that happened to be just, I texted you, didn't I? Like while you were waiting for your part to be machined, wasn't it then? It could have been. I'm I think trying you said to something about three hours and, and yeah, I, I don't know why I, I felt inclined to text you. Actually, <laughs> I said to Sofiane, I was like, dude, the coverage, like not only the, yeah. the media coverage of it was, was bananas, was just yeah. awesome. Like super awesome. But then also, 
you know, there's people are posting like Sofiane singing Lionel Richie in the desert, and and he said, "Dude, yeah. I'm telling you, man, the coverage was better than it was in some of the cities. Like you'd be out in the mountains, 100. percent Yeah, it was. It, it so that made it really enlightening. And so it I was saw, weird. It was like, yeah. yeah, it was like you got sell like pretty much 3G anywhere, man. It was like I think it's just the desert. Like you just it was no obstructions. Things just yeah, no obstructions. It wasn't <laughs> like we're in the deep canyons and forests of British Columbia. It was like, yeah, it was. You know, which is kind of good and bad. It's that idea, like, there's still something romantic about disappearing into mm. these roots. But then, like, at the same time, it's just kind of the nature of our world, you know. And, and certainly that race, you go into the race with an understanding that it's, it's, it's being broadcast, you know, as much as any race is, it can be. Mm. This race is being broadcasted out, you know. Like, it gets coverage. Um, so, you know... The fact that there are cars that are on the route and people taking pictures on the route, albeit I saw almost none of it, um, to be honest, because like I, for obvious reasons, they were either at the front of the course, um, following the leaders or, or maybe some particular stories like some of the leading women or what have you. So, um, yeah, I didn't see it, but it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy the amount of coverage. Yeah. It was, it was really fun to watch. So then he, he basically machined you apart. Yeah. Yeah. So he basically went and took, he obviously mimicked the threading. Um, he took whatever he needed to take. So he, he knew what he had to create. I mean, he was obviously a massively resourceful guy. And I found out through an, a, a, a kind of translator guy who showed up towards the end, who was like, he's, he's like, his dream is to come to America and work for like, santa cruz and be oh, yeah. like a bike mechanic yeah really? so yeah it was let's get that guy like, over here what do we have to i do? know i was like any, anybody would be like you know should be thrilled to have a guy as resourceful as that on yeah. their team it know? sounded but, like he had a lot of mechanical aptitude like uh, yes knowing totally. that he basically looked at your bike and he was like oh yeah i see what we need to do here exactly he was yeah. confident and assured and he was decisive and all of that was i was lucky to have because it it like you know, as much as just having anyone there, let alone a guy like that is why it worked. And it's just such a shame that, you know, cut to the future. It's a shame that that piece fell off. (laughs) So, um, for whatever reason, and I mean, certainly a two hour downhill on the road, a bumpy rough road was clearly the catalyst for why it came off. I don't know if the threading was maybe just you know, sometimes the threading, if it's just a little off, mm. you know, it's just enough that something can reverberate right off, uh, off, off the bike. That could have been the, um, could have been what happened, but it disappeared. And so, um, I maybe got 24 hours out of it where it was riding like perfect. It was riding better yeah, than yeah. it was so like before it. the race. Oh yeah. Like yeah. the bike was like new. Awesome. Um, and I was like, loving it i was just riding and after having so much you know annoyance throughout the early part of the race to be riding with all my gearing and and to have like that situation happen i was like oh yeah i'm gonna make up this three hours i was just like i was on a mission i'm like i'm gonna start catching people like not in a competitive way in in that sense but just that as a like yeah it was just like appreciating the the feel of, of riding again yeah because you, know? you didn't really get a good taste until yeah until that part got fixed totally and wow. you know we were already over a lot of some of the tough terrain and i was so i was like i was really optimistic i was like yeah i can like i've got 
you know, the, the, at that point, we everyone was saying the same thing, that the race was a lot slower in terms of pace than everyone expected. I think everyone, I would probably say it was a, for sure a t- 24 hours longer than any, everyone expected. Oh, really? A full um, day, huh? Yeah, like I, I think there was just not, there was very little reprieve along the trail. I think it was, you know, like just, I mean, as a, as a very obvious example, the fact that like you climb 3,500 meters in the first hour, uh, sorry, in the first, uh, like in the first hundred kilometers, you climb up to this top of this peak. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? Like you literally got to throw your bike on your, over your shoulder, climb over some boulders <laughs> and then walk your bike down a good chunk of what you just climbed. Like, you know, that's usually you make up obviously your pace and uh, on the downhill, even if it's a little rough or slow or whatever, this was like, you know, a I'm hike a bike. A hike a bike. Yeah. Oh my God. And he, he had warned like Nelson race director had warned about that. So it wasn't like it was anything unexpected, but I think that sort of thing was pretty consistent throughout the, the race where you was just a lot of little sections where it just didn't feel like you were making up like, you know, there was no free miles, as I like to think, you know, there was just, you kind of had to work for a lot of it, which, you know, is, is great. It's just is what it is. Um, And it, it's just, I think it, I think everyone was very quickly adjusting their sort of timeframes. Yeah, like it was no, it was no uh, Great Divide mountain bike route, right? Like it's not just flat gravel and mix of paved. And it's, it's so, uh, it's so exposed. And yeah. so um, sparsely populated that yeah. they're probably just like uh, donkey paths, right? Like between yeah, a lot of it. I mean, there were definitely there was tarmac and there was road and there were sections that were like you know definitely faster. I just think that it was yeah, like it just wasn't quite um, yeah, it just ended up being slower. And um, and certainly for me, from a technical because of technical issues, it became even that much slower. So yeah. I, I was like you know, I'd set some goals and I was obviously not, not, I had to throw those away. Um, and just kind of like, you know, I was like, okay, I just want to get in at a, a, (laughs) before the, before the party, um, you know, that's where I ended up, especially after like the, the second round, after I lost the, that little magical ring. And then I was kind of back to square one, um, and things, things fell apart much quicker the second time around. And I think that was mainly because like the bike was kind of taking, mm. you know, the parts were taking a beating, um, because they weren't in their correct position. They were just taking that much more of a beating. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So then you, you lose the ring and then now did you, did someone, you got you got a hold of a bike shop at that point, and they found you. Well, the, no, well, this is well before. Well, this was fair. This was before that happened. So I think what happened then was, um, you know, at this point, I think we're maybe two thirds of the way through the race, um, and I sort of hobbled my way down into the village. Like I discovered the the ring was gone on the downhill of that long colonial road section. So it was mostly downhill into the, into the villa, into the the next village. So I was able to kind of do that. And then once there get some food and kind of like, again, it became us back to this, like 
calculation of what was I going to do. Um, you know, now I was more like, okay, do I take, you know, more extreme approach to like fixing the derailleur or do I, again, just sort of see where, what I can get away with. Um, and I opted for the, let's see what I can get away with choice. Um, kind of deciding that, well, until like further technical issues dictated, I wouldn't take an extreme course yet. So then I, I set off kind of like before midnight, uh, I wrote out with Jenny actually that at that point, um, and there was, that was kind of around the time when there was a lot of discussion about the, what the, what some of the women were potentially kind of facing on the, along the route. There was sort of, we got that information kind of trickled through the ranks about, um, you know, one of the, one of the women scratching because she felt uncomfortable and had kind of an incident along the trail. Is that so, huh? Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it, again, it was a, a big, huge wake up call as a white male you know, about what we get away with and, and what we take for granted. And so it made me certainly more aware, you know, I'm really ultra aware of like these kind of, of going through cultures and I don't know whether it's a Canadian thing or it's just a me thing, but like, I'm always like extra sensitive about like, I couldn't help but think like, Hey, what do these people think? as I rumble by totally. their front door, you know, yeah. like, are they okay with me being here? Are they okay with me? cutting through this section am i just is this somehow disrespectful like even just like dogs barking in the night like Mm -hmm. as every time as a rider goes by these dogs are all barking and are people just like uh what a headache or you know or is it just like okay we're here for you know three four days we pass by and maybe it's like it's a it's it's all okay and it's a positive thing it's just hard to know because you just you're not having those kinds of conversations with people as you rip through, you know, their backyards. I, I agree with everything you're saying in terms of like, maybe it is a Canadian thing. It's, I think it shows a bit of empathy. Yeah, for it, sure. It shows a, it shows a high level of respect for the places that you're going through. Yeah. Like I've I even felt like that in North America sometimes. Like, Oh, I don't know. I'm going through this gate. Like on the Epic, there were a few times where you go through a gate and I was at yeah. two in the morning and dogs are barking at me and I'm like, Oh, the people must just hate me right now. Totally. Right? I'm just like, I've just yeah. got to get out of here as fast as I can, turn up, turn my light on low and just try to disappear. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that's that's uh, respectable. Like, you know, you're going through this this other, like you say, a totally other culture. And, yeah. And uh, you have to respect that for sure. Yeah. So I was, I was already, you know, like you got a lot of time to think when you're on the bike. So, you know, you, it's inevitable that you kind of, you go through all these things or I do anyways. And I sort of, you, 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 you contemplate your impact and what have you. And, and so there was that. And then I think when I heard about the, this situation with some of the women in the race, you know, you just, cause you don't, you don't sometimes don't think about it obviously because they're, they're obviously they're strong, they're confident and you just see them doing their thing. And so you just, you don't think of them as being, and they're not bringing it up. But then I started to pay attention to it and I was like, Holy crap, you know, you like, we pull into this town and, it's weird enough. There's a bunch of us in Lycra and weird clothing and weird bikes kind of suddenly, you know, exploding into their cafes and their stores. And, and, you know, I'm sure they've seen bike packers before because it's a popular place to bike pack, but like at, in, at this sort of extreme, like there were a lot of racers, it was a big race. So we were always present, you know, there were, we were omnipresent within that environment. And, um, and 
Yeah. And so I was kind of watching, like at one point at that checkpoint before Jenny and I left, I was kind of watching her walk around. I was watching, I realized, yeah, there's no women here. There's no women out. It's all men. It's all men on the streets, men in the stores. Um, The men are watching her go by and, you know, she said it and, you know, there was obviously, like she said it to us after the fact, but it was like, yeah, she was buffered by the fact that she was surrounded by maybe some other male racers. So it's not to say anybody was going to do anything wrong or, or weird, but like, you know, she was in like cycling wear, walking around where people just don't do that as a woman. So whether, you know, you could look at it two ways. It's kind of like, you know, we have to, whether we agree or disagree with some of their choices, cult, you know, do, we're in their homes, you're in their towns. And so, yeah, it kind of like was, became a, an interesting thing to contemplate. And, um, and basically the race had decided that, you know, the women could use their, their tracker devices to raise an alarm if they felt compelled to do so. Um, in a way that we wouldn't normally use our spot devices. Um, and then also that they could ride with other racers, which wasn't also kind of, you weren't supposed to necessarily spend too much time riding with another racer. Like, of course you overlap and it's inevitable, but like, so all that being said, I, I left and rode out with her in a weird sort of like, Hey, I'm escorting you in some weird, Big weird brother kind, kind of, yeah, thing, yeah, like I didn't want to think of it that way because Jenny certainly didn't need help. She oh, was yeah. more than competent and she wasn't asking for help. No, but like at the same time I was respecting that, like, you know, they were going through a different scenario and I just felt like, well, Hey, like just like anyone, like, I mean, God, there's plenty of us guys that would, would have been, <laughs> would have probably at times loved to have been escorted as well. It's always weird riding into the night. Like you don't know what you're riding into. Like it's that classic, you bivy out somewhere and you wake up in the morning. You're like, Oh my God, like, this is where I am. You don't know where you are. Like, it's weird. We just go out and bivy <laughs> on someone's front You're lawn, right. essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, we just think we're in a bubble because we're in a race, but like, it's just bizarre. Like who, how often at home do you just go out riding until you're tired in the darkness and then just sleep wherever you are, like on a street, like on a bench in some, you know, whatever. I so think, I think we really take our safety for granted in a lot of ways yeah. here in North America and, you know, uh, when my, when my, well, she wasn't my wife at the time. She wasn't even my fiance. I, I proposed to Chris in Spain before we went to Morocco. But when we went down there, we actually had rings. We wore rings mm, because yeah. we thought there'd be, you know, some, we'd maybe yeah. take some negative, um, uh, get some negativity regarding, you know, a couple not being married, but, but, you know, sleeping in a hotel together. And, sure. and Chris, you know, she's very well traveled. She spent tons of time in Asia and, and, um, she covered her shoulders. She always had her shoulders covered. And it and it's mm-hmm. it's like when you said, you know, a bunch of guys and girls traipsing around in their spandex. Yeah. You know, and and sure bike packers come through there a lot and um but you know, it's yeah, it, they're just not used to seeing it. And no. you know, and it's and it it could be I'd say this, I don't say this, I'm not being judgy at all, but it, they could deem it as being disrespectful. You're going to you're going to come through here in your tank top with your tan shoulders on your bike yeah. and, and like, how dare you? Like I can, I totally see that side of it. Yeah. Um, it still doesn't justify, um, you know, uh, the treatment women are getting in these situations. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't justify it. 
No. But then, but then when we spend some time in Morocco, it's like, well, there's this woman over there, like tourist. It was a tourist mountain town we were yeah. in. It's like, oh, bus pulls up and you know, guys are walking out in flip flops, no shirts, and and women, yeah. you know, with their bikini tops and stuff. And it's like, you know, that's North America. That's just we're way more liberal in that respect. Yeah. But um, in a in a foreign country, I think you have to be a bit careful, especially a you know deeply yeah. Muslim country, right? You have to respect that. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope to talk to Jenny. So it'll be interesting to uh, to hear her take on it. It's unfortunate though, because you know you want it is. you want to feel safe and yeah. And if I I feel like yeah, it's a complicated thing, and it's 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 I think it's just good that we're talking about it because I think that's what these things do right and what travel does is it makes you talk about things and learn and and you know nobody's perfect and there's no right solution i think we're all trying to figure it all out so there's a learning curve there and um you know and i would argue that like and i think i i know from firsthand conversations with some of the other women after the fact that they were all a lot of them were like you know i didn't they didn't feel particularly threatened per se like I think one of the women in the race had a very specific incident and so which can happen um and it can happen to men you know where like it happened in the the Silk Road race you know where drunken horsemen confronted the lead racer I think it was James Hayden and it was like he he bailed or he had to bail because of safety you know it was just an unfortunate situation it doesn't define the culture and the people there it was just there's there's going to be bad situations anywhere you go. North America um, as well. Everywhere. Exactly. Like we have them all the time. So it's not like that was unique to that place. And that was kind of actually the point I made. It was like, but do you, you know, how do you get treated as a, as a woman riding around anywhere? Like, you know, there's, there's issues with that too. So I was curious and I wanted to understand and learn more and be open to it and appreciate it. And again, cause I've thought about this a lot, just the whole Again, a white Canadian male, we're just, you know, we're drenched in privilege. And it's easy for us to be complacent about that and forget about that. And so, you know, listening and learning, I think, is an important part. And it's what travel exposes us to. And this was just yet another version of that and an opportunity for that. Um, so, yeah. So, again... All of that's just a long way of, of 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 explaining why Jenny and I sort of rolled out of that town at the same time, and we were both like our timing was on on the same. We were like, "Hey, let's just go." You know, she's like, "I want to just go as far as I can go before I crash out," and I'm like, "Ditto." Literally, did I know that I would figuratively, uh, I would figuratively crash out? Did you or, crash? Sorry, literally, literally <laughs> crash out, um, which was like maybe half an hour later on the road. My derailleur just like. I had phase eight of my, <laughs> you know, technical issues where oh, basically like another bolt that was holding the derailleur kind of popped off, which then set the derailleur, like the derailleur now was just not even connected to anything. Right. And so, um, you know, I, it had been pushed too far. Um, and Jenny didn't even actually realize it had happened because every time that we were on a, a road leading out to the, the, the kind of off-road section, and so there were trucks going by. It was at night. And so every time a truck was coming, I'd pull in behind her. And sure enough, I pulled in behind her. When a truck went by, that's when my derailleur blew. I pulled over. She was gone. I never saw her again until the finish line. So, yeah. um, and so at that point, that's where I had to like finally take matters to another stage and kind of 
I had to like let go of the derailleur. I had no replacement, you know, uh, screws to, to, you know, the, the hanger was fine. It was just, it wasn't, I couldn't connect the derailleur anymore. So I opted to go with, um, single speed, um, chain on the, on the bike. And it was less than ideal. <laughs> it didn't, wasn't like necessarily the best job probably. And it was, uh, falling off constantly so mm -hmm. it was kind of like i could get little moments in but it was like pretty aggravating uh, so yeah it'd be so frustrating uh, yeah so i kind of quit on that because it was just it was i was probably spending more time getting off and on the bike and trying to delicately you know hold to my middle gear and it was you know the gear was not ideal anyway so that was when i it was midnight and that's when i kind of was like i could either go back to that town or i could keep moving forward and start pushing my bike and i the rumor was that this next section was supposed to be really brutal for some reason and that there'd be a lot of hike a bike. And I was like, well, I'm not going to really be at a disadvantage. Mm. And so for better or worse, I don't know if this was the best decision I made, but it felt emotionally right. And I've often make pragmatic, but emotional decisions when I'm, you know, doing these things and, and use that to guide my, my, my decision making. And so, yeah, I just started to, to push the bike and, um, I was oddly disappointed to realize that the, the, tra the trail was very rideable. Oh, I kept waiting God. for this terrible section yeah. to appear and it never appeared. And I was like, Oh man, this is, this is brutal. Like I just walked all this way thinking like everybody else would be walking, but no, everyone else would be riding. Well, you went in blind, right? Like it's kind of I a roll of the dice, total roll of the dice. Again, I made it my decision and, and that's when I was like, well, now I don't want to go back. I've walked however many hours. Um, and you kind of keep, again, it's like all hindsight. You think, well, this is the best thing I can do right now. And then I, I got to a point where I felt like whether I was literally halfway between uh, through this section to CP3 or not, if it, it, it psychologically felt like I'd come halfway. So I wasn't going to stop and turn around and go back. I just was like, I'm going to get to CP3. And so that was like basically from midnight until 5 p.m. I walked the 85 to 100K. Oh, um, my God, man. That's yeah. so far. <laughs> yeah. So do you need new shoes, I, I imagine? It's funny because I got new <laughs> shoes just before I started. Are they yeah, this company. Well, they were doing all right. They were like they were holding up. And I, you know, it was that was not a problem. Do you want that to plug the shoe? Do you want to plug it? <laughs> yeah. We'll <laughs> wait and see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see if they'll send me a new pair. Um, but uh, no, I'd gotten new shoes because I was having foot issues with just the width of my feet. So these shoes were a new shoe and they were um, from Lake uh, Cycling and they were like, they fit great. They were wider. So I was willing to kind of go with a new shoe and take the risk of having a new shoe. Um, like very... I really only had a few test rides before, but, um, yeah, I, they certainly did not let me down. That was fine. It was, it was just like pushing the bike and, uh, one by one people started passing me and, you know, everyone would stop and I'd have the exact same conversation and we'd all look at the bike. A few bike mechanics would were pass by and they kind of give me the look of like, yeah, you're, you're, you're hooped. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, you've kind of gone and through and done everything you can do. And there's just really like not much left. Like the one speed probably, yeah, might've worked better. Maybe if that had worked better, but like, you know, that that's kind of like a short term solution, not a, 
you still got to ride 400 kilometers on horribly rough terrain kind of solution, you know? Um, was anyone single speeding it? There was one single speed rider and I finally got to meet him by almost at, at the point by which I had stopped walking and had fixed the bike for once and for all. Um, we crossed paths briefly on that town and I was like, brother, man, I, <laughs> I, I, all the credit to you for, for riding, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess it's a little different when you commit to an actual one speed, which is technically, which is built properly and done properly. But yeah, I, I, it made me wonder why someone rides a one speed, but, um, you know, I've never really committed to a one speed, a proper one speed. So it's hard to say, like, I know there's pros and cons that people have and it's kind of just a personal choice, but, uh, yeah, I ran into him and I was like, that's yeah. Yeah. It was just he and I, and I think we were near, like by that point, almost everyone had passed me. Um, there were still more racers, um, coming along, but like, yeah, um, that was, that was still yet another, like I'd walked the 85 or hundred K, I think it was to, um, CP3 realized CP3 had nothing to offer me, um, was, was just this kind of like remote little oasis that was very difficult to get access to. Cause at that point I was like, okay, I got to resolve this. So that's when I, I reached out to, from the CP, I reached out to Atlas sports bike shop in Marrakesh who I had connected with before the race because it was kind of always a tradition for me to and i'm sure most racers do it is just to go into the local bike shop get some intel mm. shake some hands you know um for kind of for this very reason you know like pick up a couple of co2 cartridges and just sort of you know see if they have any cool shirts and um you know i was it, you know, it was great that I'd met them. They were super, I knew they were a super organized operation that they ran bike tours around the okay. country. So I thought, Oh, okay. Like these guys are going to have some Intel for me. Like what, what's my, what are my options? You know? Um, cause that was it at this point. I was like, what are my options? Like, what can I even do here? I'm like, you know, I was concerned. I was, the time was just burning by as I, you know, walked the bike. And then I wasted a bunch of time because I got into the CP and you're just like trying to get food. And it was like food was difficult to get there. It was kind of the operation there was a little sketchy. And like it was now 6, 7 p.m. So things were closed. And I was now realizing, okay, I was probably going to have to wait till the morning. And it just it just lost a lot of time. So I, like, I wasted a lot of time there. So um, and then basically he said like, yeah, like the rules allowed for me to basically travel by cab or whatever to Marrakesh, fix the bike and then come back to where I'd left the course. Right. Kind of like a lot of these races, right? Like you can get, you just have to return to the course yeah. right where you left it. At that point I was, I was out of the, the race. I was there oh. to finish, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, and I was, um, I basically was like, that felt weird. Like it just felt weird and wrong to take a cab to Marrakesh eight hours, fix the bike, come back another eight hours. I could, I don't know why I just didn't like the idea of it. And 16 um, hours in a, in a Mercedes driving across the yeah, desert yeah, with eight just, other people. <laughs> yeah. As much as pushing my bike sucked, it felt like it would really kill the vibe. The whole thing. And I was at that point, I was like, this is all about the vibe now. I'm just like, I want to get, I want to, I want a human powered travel this trail to the finish line. Right. That was my new goal. Like your, your you know, intention, you set your intention. Yeah, exactly. And that's always, as I, I, I had waxed poetic about this in my salsa article before the race, which is, 
your number one goal is to finish. And so I could hear my own words reverberating in my head. And I was like, you said so ah, you said exactly, it. <laughs> which is good. Cause it made me accountable, you know, to my own words. Exactly. But it was sincere. I meant it. And I was fine. Like I was actually emotionally in a fine. I was like, the walk was slow and boring, but I switched gears and kind of went a little numb as you have to, to, to kind of pull that off. And, yeah. um, and then I was like, yeah, he said, look, you know, his recommendation, Atlas was there. The bike shop's recommendation was get to the next town. It's actually a bigger town. There's more options there. There's resources there. You can do it. Um, and that's when I kind of talked to him and said, yeah, okay, well, like, like I need more than just a chain. Like my, um, what, what had actually happened was my single speed. I got to a point where I literally cranked so hard at one point on a hill. I wedged my chain in between the, I saw that. The, the, yeah, it was like the most, like some people are still like, how the hell did that how even, did I don't do even that? know how that happened. I don't Strong know how legs, I did man. it. No, it was, it was just, it, it was just deep, felt like, man, I'm sure people yeah. saw the photo, but it was deep in there. I was like, that's not coming yeah, out. Couldn't get it out. Like another racer who I knew who passed me by almost just out of like, out of curiosity, the two of us were trying to rip it out of there. Like, we we're just like, this is hilarious. Like yeah. it was almost amusing. It was like the cherry on top of mechanical problems, you know? Yeah, um, cool. like, so anyways, it was. I needed, I, like, I needed a lot. So I was like, look, I, I need more than just that. So he was like, yeah, I, I have a mechanic who could, who could be there, like, with some of those, these parts. And I was like, yeah, I mean, and I, I had reached out to Nelson, race director, and told him my situation. They had sent a car out to me while I was on the route. And I was like, thinking they might be picking me up mm. to, to scratch. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to scratch. I just want you guys to know what I'm doing so you know why I'm moving so slow. And that to not worry about me. I had water, I had food. I knew what I was doing. I was doing it willingly. But also like these are the choices I'm making along the route. And you guys can choose to uh, treat that how you want in terms of me officially being in the race or not. Like Again, at that point, I was like, if I'm, I don't care about getting like, you know, a little penny on my chest that says, hey, you came 122nd, you know, in the race. It was like. I just wanted to to finish the race and finish it properly. And I wanted to be able to ride. Um, so yeah, so I was able to, to meet up with some people in uh, the next. T- so he said, walk another 55 kilometers. I'm like, thanks. Yeah, great. So easy for you to say. Yeah. Could you skate what? some of that too? Like, could you kind well, of hop along? He, and- he said, there's like a big hill on the other end. So I got to go up a big hill and then down a big hill. So like, which to be honest, like a flat section, like walking across the Netherlands would suck, but walking up, you can, you're not actually going, at least you're not going so much slower than someone riding. And then on the down, I can glide. Right. So like there was some advantage to the situation and I saw the, the I saw his logic and it would put me in this town that had more options. It would put me in a place where it was easier to access. And so I said, fine. And in a way I felt like it was like, you know what, this is like, penance for like getting you know mechanical help and so it kind of felt like the right choice for me um and so yeah i walked another 55 kilometers to the next town and was got there got these new pieces put on the bike had a a lovely meal at at the restaurant marrakesh where i had my first couscous of the event um kind of chowed down and then got on my bike and i had the best ride 150 kilometers of riding rode through the night. Cause I got, it was fixed at sunset. So at 9 PM I could ride 
and I rode from 9 p.m. till 9 a.m. or till like 8 a.m. straight um, and felt amazing and enjoyed it, actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and except for the last five kilometers of sand. Ah, that's what Sofian was saying. It was yeah, like- but I think everyone complained about that. Like there was someone who literally apparently scratched five kilometers out they took the road yeah took the road to go around to finish because they were so pissed off by the sand so it it killed everyone's will and i was just like what you've got to be kidding me i just walked 150 kilometers finally (laughs) riding i gotta walk to the finish line i was like no way so um anyways that was uh but whatever everyone had the same same issue it was kind of like in the moment you're pissed but when you when it's all said and done you can laugh at it an adventure Um, Man. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I was able to ride in and, uh, you know, finish Saturday morning. Um, super anticlimactic. This <laughs> was like, everyone's asleep and you roll in and it's like, but at, at that point it was a very personal journey and finish. And, and I, I actually didn't realize, like, then it was like, people started to kind of go, Oh, like they were like, Oh, Hey, when did you come in? And I was like, Oh, I came in the morning. They didn't really know who I was per se. And then they kind of were like, oh, my God, you're the guy who was walking. And I'm like, oh, great. Now I've got, like, the stigma of being, like, the guy who walked, you know, um, is kind of like, I don't know, I'm not sure it was a badge of honor or not. But uh, but the, 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 the support from everyone was awesome. And I really appreciated that because I was wrestling a little bit with, you know, success or failure, you know. Certainly it was – I felt – I succeeded because I reached the finish line and I was proud of that. But you're like kind of floods over you a little bit and you're just like, man, was that, that was not what I had signed up for. And, um, you know, kind of a bummer. Um, but then, yeah, but also, you know, in its own right, a victory for getting there. So, um, I, I, bottom line is I really appreciated how everyone sort of supported me in that choice and, and pulling it off. So that was great. I felt good. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. At least, you know, at least, at least you fixed the bike, you know, you, you didn't drag the dead horse across the finish yeah. line. Right? Well, like I joked, I said, nobody, nobody, you don't walk into the sunset, you ride into the sunset. And, right. and so for me, that was like, um, I kind of, I, I, it felt like, in some ways, it would have been symbolic to walk across to, to walk the whole way there, but like I wasn't in the mood for symbolism. I was like, <laughs> I was in the, I was in the mood to ride my bike in Morocco and uh, and yeah, like you, you kind of think you you know as we know from these things when you think back on events, you like it's the experience. So you 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 know you remember the experience. We're there for the experience. No one's getting monetary rewards or anything you're there for the story of it all and the experience of it all so um that was my experience it was unique uh i'm grateful that it worked out positive in some way or another um and yeah just chalk it up as another another experience uh you know of bikepacking um so that was probably your biggest high i guess just just getting to the finish line did you have any other high points along the way um, yeah, there were lots of little moments for sure. Like I remember like my first omelet was a high highlight because <laughs> at that point it seemed novel and it was just like a wonderful little family inviting me into their, like they had kind of like a little, what would have maybe felt like a Moroccan B and B. Um, and I remember that being kind of just like a really great moment. Um, I think meeting and talking to all the racers and when I, 
let go of the anxiety of falling backwards and and focused more on the the relationships I was building with people. Again, it reminded me like that's what makes these events so spectacular and hearing other people's story and realizing that like, you know, again, it's that I, I kind of have that always have that appreciation for those who are out there the longest and finish further back. Like they're, they're going through the worst, you know, like it's amazing what Sofiane did like to, to not sleep and push through is, is amazing. And the guy is, you know, obviously it's a monster to pull that off. And that is incredible. But that, but then you look back and you look at the person who's got like, like, you know, Pascal who had Sherman's neck and could barely hold his head up and had to strap it. And just to get there on time and finish, like that's no less an incredible achievement. You know, Absolutely. it's just, everyone's going in with, in a different, you know, some people are, are older. Some people are less experienced. Some people are suffering an injury or a mechanical or whatever. So everyone has their, their variables, you know, it's all, um, everyone has a different flavor, right? Of totally. experience, like some, yeah. some win and some drag their ass across the desert and yeah. finish with a broken bike or a wrecked neck or. Yeah. And you see people like there was a couple of guys that rolled in uh, like right during the party like sort of a couple hours before the cutoff time, you're like, that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like that, that's like, it's like that whole thing. I, I've not witnessed it firsthand, but the whole, like it, at Ironman where they all wait, you know, everyone gathers for the last, the last racer to come in within yeah. the cutoff time or whatever, or in the Iditarod where they celebrate the red lantern, the last musher to clear the trail. Like, those are amazing traditions, yeah. you know, and I think that's what makes the spirit of these kinds of events, I think, special. Um, and it's a really good reminder, you know, as much as, again, we talk about it's so hard to get to that start line and then to get to the finish line. That's at, at, the, at the bare bones of it all. That's the most meaningful thing in that, you know, we're all running our own race. Yeah, it's the most you know. meaningful thing to that person at that given moment. Exactly. You know, it, it probably means, it, in a lot of cases, it could mean more to them totally. to finish than it could mean to Sofiane to, to win it. Well, I saw way, right? people, there were people in tears afterwards who had who had scratched by CP before CP2 because they didn't meet, meet the cutoff time because the the sheer experience and challenge of just getting there was so life-changing and affirming for them, you know, that it was it's impactful it's powerful and it's it's um you you, you, know, you kind of get you stop thinking about yourself and not be so selfish about your situation and realize everyone else has their situation so it's yeah. just like you sort of instead of talking you start listening and it's um that to me was probably the most important part of of the event is when i let go and started to to listen to other people and just be appreciative to be there and I thought, hey, I'm lucky. I got to carve out. I got to be in Morocco for this period of time. And I thought I had nowhere to go. My flight leaves on Monday. I just got to get like, I've got all this time and no one, I have no other plans. I don't have dinner, dinner plans somewhere or, you know, like I just got to, I got that time to use to, to just keep moving. Um, and yeah, it was, um, it was a good reminder of a lot of things. So, um, yeah. So still, emotional limbo for sure. And it was, you know, processing, but like, but all in all, I'm very, very grateful. And it was, I think it will be etched 
for me as a positive experience Good. for sure. Yeah, as it should be, I think. I know you've got a you've got a party to get to. Oh no, what time is it? Oh, is it five right no, now? It's only, oh no, it's no, no, it's three three o'clock here. Yeah, yeah. Right, so right. keeps getting screwed up. Yeah, I'm trying- a little uh, a late homecoming gathering with friends who who were dot watching, and <laughs> I, I think that's probably what the funniest thing is is. I mean, obviously, when you're out there, as much as we had cell coverage, you're not. I'm not. Wasn't really paying too much attention to that. I tried not to pay too much attention to like banter going on outside. Like I was throwing up some updates because I knew people would be like, "What the hell's going on?" So I threw stuff up. But like, um, coming back and like looking at the the banter going on between friends and what have you, dot watching and there's speculation and there. It's kind of fun and exciting to see how people get into it and got, you know, got so into this circumstance because they're like, what's going to happen? Is he going to actually finish? And is he going to, you know, get to the next place? And, and, um, so it became something kind of invigorating for them as well and exciting for them. And so it's fun to kind of like, yeah, when you get back to share, share the stories with people and it's such a strange, uh, evolution of that sport right like watching dots it's, yeah it's so it's fun as hell man and you know what i like I, I can't remember the name of the the tracking platform they're using but map how, progress yeah and it, it 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 uh it extrapolates versus speed so when you're watching it they're actually moving you're not you don't really have to wait for a five minute update or a 10 minute yeah update. they're kind of like deek, deek, deek. they're moving along and it's like um yeah it's pretty cool and yeah, to to watch like riders yo yo, and they're just moving along the track, and actually, yeah, I'm wondering I'm, what the interaction is. You know, sometimes between them, it's kind yeah. of funny. You know, and then you know, to go back to the to the awesome coverage. Uh, I went to bed and I wanted to check to see where you were, and I know I, I knew Sofiane was getting near the end, so I flipped open my phone, and as soon as I'm laying in bed, and a little pop up comes up and it says Atlas Mountain Race just went live, and I'm, what? So I went and I got to see Sofiane finish the race. Cool. Like, how cool is that? Like, yeah. it was like 10 at night here. So whatever that is over there, like maybe eight in the morning or yeah. six in the morning, maybe or something. Uh, seven. Yeah. It's like is nine it? hours. Yeah. yeah. So it was really cool to just watch the end. And, and yeah, yeah. They, they ran it. They, they, um, they streamed that for, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. It was so cool. Yeah. Um. So they did a fantastic job. Yeah, it was yeah, really, and, really fun to watch. And I can say as someone who is out there, it doesn't feel intrusive. So it's great that people are getting that content and getting the exposure to something like that. But at the same time, it doesn't really feel like it's inversely hurting the experience. Like, because like the, the overlap, I mean, I'm sure the other, like I said, I'm sure the guys at the front were getting far more coverage, like, and, and you know, as they should. Um, but yeah, it didn't feel like, the coverage was having any real impact on, you know, your experience, which kind of touches on, yeah, your not only your, your experience, but um, but you know, going back to last year's tour divide and some of the mess that was, and people following yeah. people and filming people, and maybe it has no impact, you know. Well, I, I think I mean it's interesting because I feel like I have uh, it's when that whole thing was going, I actually wanted to post because I felt like I had a, I had a perspective from someone who's you know, albeit like I haven't been racing forever, but I've done a bunch of events and I've also made a film about an event. So I kind of actually had the, I do have the sort of both sides of the story mm. kind of take on it all. And I know people who are making films. Like there was another, a guy was on this route the same way he was in Alaska 
um, who I know who was making his own film now had nothing to do with me. He was, he was focusing on the women and some other stories. So I actually almost never saw him. Um, but, but it, it does have an impact. Like I think when there's, it changes things, but the question isn't about like, I mean, the nature of our bikes changes things. The nature of, mm. of cell coverage changes things like it, it, it things change. Yeah. It just, I think becomes what is acceptable and what is everyone okay with. Mm. And I think that, and you know, there, you can also decide to carve out an experience you want. You can turn your phone off. You can tell the media cars to not come near you. Like they, they, they made that clear, you know, you can make it what you want it to be. Right. So, um, you know, and if you don't like that, you can also recognize that the, that these, the pedal ed races are more media, have more media coverage, you know, the two races than other races do. So you can choose to not do those races. Um, oh, yeah, it's all and do race for sure. Yeah. Exactly. Like you can go and do more obscure races or you can just go bike pack on your own. So yeah. like, I think, you know, we have options and no one's being disingenuous about all this stuff. I think that like, it has an impact, how much of an impact it, I think it's minimal, but it certainly is an impact. I think knowing that there's cars out there having interaction with cars can definitely affect things, um, emotionally and the emotions are a big part of it. Um, so yeah, like I think that that's just, it's just another variable. Yeah. So, you know, it's I think it's just we a just different experience to, too, right? It's just a different totally. experience. But it's, it's, it's at the same time, it's very subtle. Like it's like, you know, over 1200 kilometers, how much it's not like I'm being paced by our media mm. car, you know yeah. what I mean? And they're like documenting. I think it's different when someone's following someone very specifically, that's a different experience. And it's also a different experience if you're trying to win, like, and, and there's people who take that seriously, like obviously Sofiane and those guys and, and Jay, and they, they, they want to win and they should, you know, there's, it's human nature when you're like if you're at the back of the pack or in the middle of the pack and kind of just going about going about trying to finish, it's also, it's another issue, I think, because then you're almost in your own, you're on a separate race, you know? Um, but if you have a leader who has someone who's following them specifically and they're trying to win, that's kind of different. I think it's, it's a different scenario. So whatever, I, it can be debated all over the place. Yeah. I think it's just, it's a new, it's a new variable that is now there to deal with. And I think each race just, I think the race itself needs to be upfront with, with, with the riders about what its motto or mantra is. And, and then we can all choose, you know, like, again, like it, it should still just be about fun and adventure and, you know, so like, just have to choose how serious we want to get about it all. Right. Yeah. You know, how worked up we all really want to get about like bike packing across a country where nobody's winning any money or, you know what I mean? Like there's still value clearly in success, but people can turn it into a viable lifestyle, mm -hmm. a few people. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's still... <laughs> is still pretty, uh, pretty amateur in its, um, nature. Yeah. So coming back to reality, um, how are you feeling being back? Um, I feel, 
I feel good. Like I feel like, you know, I'm coming out of the limbo. I also know that that limbo is just a natural state. It's, it's almost like you come home from a vacation. There's that kind of, you got to decompress from one thing to another. Um, I think writing about it, I think having the creative outlet after the fact is really healthy and it's, it's something I love. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still sort of wrestling. I think with each time I do an event, I, I kind of wrestle with what's my motivation and like, should I be slowing down right from the outset and documenting it better? Because I get such a satisfaction from that, like taking better photos, talking to people, you know, like maybe even racing with another racer and like, you know, being the sort of quote unquote embedded photographer or storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that's my relationship with salsa is, is to be a storyteller. And I think that, you know, and I'm writing for them and bikepacking potentially. And I love that. So, you know, if I'm not coming one, two, three in the race, which like in some of these bigger races, I'm not, you know, maybe in some of the smaller ones, it can be more competitive. Maybe that, that becomes my more of the role I have to focus on. And so I'm still trying to figure that out. There's the competitive side that's always like, oh, I want to see how I can do. And then, you know, and then there's a part of me who's just like, but, but really where the, the greatest joy comes from is, is taking the photos, telling the story, um, you know, looking at some of the wonderful photos the photographers are getting. You're just like, oh, man, I wish I – there's so many opportunities where I could have stopped and got some epic stuff, you know, like um, – but you're, and you're riding through the night and sometimes missing a section that, like, is probably stunningly beautiful. So I'm still, I'm still trying to resolve how I want to approach the events. And so that's part of my process as well. And so I'm not sure yet. Um, so I'm going to, I think I'll have to kind of think about it and, and, and come to a conclusion, but yeah, I'm getting a lot of joy from writing right now and putting that out there. So, um, hopefully I'll have my stories out, uh, soon through various channels yeah well i can't wait so um what's going on this summer what are you doing this summer uh we're talking about a family trip through norway potentially across norway yeah me and my wife and my son oliver um pulling him so um that's you know uh one thing we're thinking about and then maybe a smaller thing over march break a bunch of gravel just doing a bunch of like one day or two day gravel races that are just just good little challenges like dirty kanza and stuff like that so those are kind of on the radar but yeah i I have to think a little bit a part of me is actually thinking that i wouldn't mind telling some sort of film-based cinematic story in this realm i feel like i'm kind of due for something like that as well yeah um so i think after this event i kind of i've been thinking about that so i think i need to think about it a little bit more um and uh, hey buddy yeah. keep it down <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then uh yeah and see how that might uh see what that might look like you know but yeah yeah so i think that's the the next steps for sure what's part of doing? the decompression yeah what's he doing over there they just came back from a walk oh, and nice. so yeah oh he's scared to oh, come in front oh, of the, buddy the... oliver it's all good buddy come here oliver you want to say hi and maybe um I, I think I see Sarah in the background there. Thank her for... Hey, buddy. Hey, who's that? Hey, Oliver. Say hi. Hardcore bike packer already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's excited. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 
Uh, thanks, Sarah, for uh, letting us have you for uh, an hour and a half. I will. I know <laughs> there's been a lot of those thank yous of uh, of time. Yeah, they're precious, you know. Yeah. And that's just it. Again, is like, how do we spend our time? These are big commitments and big trips, and so I have to decide. You know, I have friends who are traveling the world, riding around, and I'm not. Je- I'm, I'm. I love the fact they're having that experience. But the part of me is like, yeah, is that how I should be spending my time? So. Um, these races are interesting because they're a conduit to a place and it's kind of like, it's hard to, to, to see so much so quickly. And so that's kind of one of the advantages of the races is they give you a chance to kind of absorb a massive experience <laughs> in a very short period of time. I think, know? That's, like, I think that's why I do them because I don't have that opportunity at this point with the, the age my kids are now. Yeah. I can't just take off. And actually, yeah. like uh, usually in the winter I like to try to do a couple little short track races and and this year yeah. we just we just can't afford it. Like, you know, if if I take the I you know I'm off on a weekend and if Chris has to take the day off, then that $30 entry fee turns into a $500 day because of yeah. time off and this oh, and that yeah. gas money and blah, blah blah. It's like so, you know, the Cross River Ripper was today and Ryan Draper reached out and he was like, "Everyone was wondering where you were." And I'm like, so yeah. man, I'm in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, something's got to give, you know. Um, yeah, and I'll save it for tough. summer. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a balancing act, yeah. 100% balance, balancing act, and um, you know, yeah, it's a. I, I think the thing is just kind of keep reevaluate, you know, keep reevaluating, and just keep checking in and communicating. Yeah, yeah, and just sort of, you know, I think I, like I'm grateful that. Sarah is keen and so far Oliver is keen to to do bike packing trips because then I think that's the perfect balance for me. I love I feel like it's a it's a, a nice alternative voice to have is oh, talk sure. as a as a dad traveling with with his family um because I've had a lot of really great feedback from people on that like I just there was another story just put out by Salsa about our recent ride and it was like you know it's great because I feel like that's a really positive uh, impact, you know, the idea that we can get out there with our kids and do these sort of adventures and, um, you know, traveling in Vietnam with my sister who's traveled the world quite a bit, you know, there was, a, we had a lot of conversations about how tourism has kind of just overwhelmed a lot of places. And I feel like bikepacking is in a way goes back in time in terms of like the old dirty backpacking, you know, and staying in hostels where on a bike, you can kind of you can dip in and into the rural areas and nooks and crannies and camp, you know, and avoid the crowds. And it, it gives us a way of traveling that I think is hard to find these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and even and in your backyard, right? It's right, right in your backyard. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we're just talking about March break. We could just go out and like do a loop on Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it only takes five kilometers and you're, you're away from it all. Yeah. You know, and I, and with Oliver, you know, five kilometers is 500 kilometers, <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. the world is, is condensed down into this wonderful, intense little place that is so much, um, is so exciting because it's just a different perspective, different speed, different pace, different issues. Um, so you're kind of seeing it through different eyes. It's, 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 it's amazing. Well, it seems like you're mastering the scales of balance. <laughs> trying but yeah as you know it's you're just yeah you're you're constantly tinkering and and reevaluating so but for now i am yeah i'm grateful for the opportunity and uh morocco was was fantastic um and you know and for people thinking about doing it 
highly recommended. Um, it's a, it's a great course, great country, a lot of bang for buck, great culture. Um, yeah, super rewarding. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time today, RJ. Hey, I appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah. Love chatting. So. Yeah. I like talking to you. It's fun. And, uh, again, yeah, thanks Sarah for letting, letting me have you for an hour <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, we'll do good luck getting back to it. I will. We'll chat soon. Thanks. Yeah. And hopefully we'll get to ride together sometime yeah. soon. Yes. It'll yeah. happen. Come to the BC we'll Epic with me again. Yes. That would be, <laughs> I've, I've recommended the BC Epic to a lot of yeah. people. And I think I've got a, a few people coming out because awesome. I think it's a wonderful course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking It's a good to taste of British Columbia. Yeah. I know. The biodiversity across the province on that route is crazy. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, just, it's, uh, what a way to see the province, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's well laid out. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, take it easy and have a good party tonight. Thank you. Well, I will. Well deserved. Okay. All we'll right. talk soon. Peace. Later. Bye. Ciao. I want to thank RJ again for his time and thank everyone for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. And uh, don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you use and subscribe. Uh, you can support me by giving me a five-star rating and a review. I'd love to know what you guys are thinking. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so at myback40podcast at gmail.com. You can send feedback, guest suggestions, and I love getting the voice intros. So uh, why don't you send me some of those too? And we'll keep everyone in touch with everyone else. I also want to thank uh, Rebound Cycle and Cycling 101 for their support. Don't forget, if you need a bike fit or you need a consultation uh, from awesome coaches, you can reach out to Cycling 101. And uh, if you use the coupon code 101VIP20, they're going to knock 20% off that service. So reach out to them, show them some love as well. So hope you guys enjoyed that convo and we'll see you next week. Keep the rubber side down. Thank mm-hmm. you.